are in each one of our lives. And I just pray for Christy now as she um, speaks more about you and your goodness in our life. And um, I just ask that everybody here, that they'll have the ears to hear what she has to bring, Lord, and that it will um, resonate with them and that they can go home with full hearts of how wonderful you are. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. And also, it's been quite a week. So I'm going to say thank you, Lord, for showing up in advance where I am weak. First <laughs> um, Corinthians 12 and 13. I remember when we were selecting or rather being assigned these chapters in the summer, Priscilla said, um, Christy, you got the best chapters. And I thought, yeah, I did. Love, how easy is that to talk about? Um, spiritual gifts. And I have been like desecrated inside by these chapters over the last few weeks because like the Corinthians, anyone who thinks, wow, I'm going to do a good job teaching, usually gets slapped down in the face a few times. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, but I'm really excited, I think, to bring kind of my challenge here today. And I think that's kind of the process and the heart that I'm coming from. So when I've been thinking about chapters 12 and 13 and spiritual gifts, um, and then of course the most excellent way, which is love, I've been thinking about the idea of a melody um, and a song and the way that Jesus kind of captivates us into that when we believe him and, um, and join what he's doing. And as I was thinking of this um, idea of what Paul's trying to convey to the Corinthians, um, I remembered this video that I saw about 13 years ago, and I happened to just think, huh, this is curious. Um, and it's called the NUMA series, and it's actually made by Rob Bell, um, who has maybe shifted in theology a little bit since then. Um, but I wanted to start by showing a little clip of this um, video called Rhythm, because I think it sort of reveals the song of, of God's love and his story and his spirit. So I'm going to ask Mallory to click on this. World market. Gonna go shopping after this. I hear a song. It's a song that moves me. It has a melody and it has a groove. It, it has a certain rhythm. And people have heard this song for thousands and thousands of years across continents and cultures and time periods. People have heard the song and they've found it captivating and they've wanted to hear more. Now there have always been people who say there is no song and, and who deny the music, but the song keeps playing. And so Jesus came to show us how to live in tune with the song, like that he's the way and the truth and the life. 
This isn't a statement about one religion being better than all the other religions. I mean, the last thing Jesus came to do was start a new religion. He came to show us reality at its most raw. He came to show us how things are. I mean, Jesus is like God and taking on flesh and blood. And so in his generosity and his compassion, that, that's what God's like. In his telling of the truth, that's, that's what God's like. In his love and forgiveness and sacrifice, that's, that's what God's like. That's who God is. That's how the song, that's how the song goes. song is playing all around us all the time. The song is playing everywhere. It's written on our hearts and everybody is playing the song. See, the question, the question isn't whether or not you're playing a song. The question is, are you in tune? Like it's written in the book of Acts. It says that God gives us life and breath and everything else. God is generous. So when I'm like selfish and stingy and I refuse to give, I'm essentially out of tune with the song. Later, in one of John's letters, he says that God is love. Unrestrained, unconditional love. So when you see somebody sacrifice themselves for another, for the well-being of somebody else, it's like, they're playing in the right key. That's why it's so inspiring and powerful. They're in tune with the song. Now, some people know all sorts of stuff about music. They know stuff about pitch and modes and keys and instruments. And so they, they can hear things that maybe other people don't. They, they hear subtlety and nuance in, in the song that other people might miss. They appreciate things others might miss, but it's also possible to be so caught up in the technical aspects of the song that you miss the simple, pure enjoyment of the song. I mean, there are people who talk as if they know everything about being a Christian, and yet they can seem way out of tune. And then there are others who would say they don't know much at all about the Christian faith, and, and yet they can seem very in tune with the song. I mean, I've met lots of people who struggle with what it means to have a relationship with God, but they haven't lost faith and love and hope, and truth and compassion and justice and generosity. I mean, maybe you have this, this sense like you have no sort of relationship with God because of all these things, these ideas you have about what that means, all these things that you've been told about what it is or, or what it isn't and an infinite, massive, kind of invisible God. That's, that's hard to get our minds around, but truth, love, grace, mercy, justice, compassion. The, the way that Jesus lived, I can see that. I, I can understand that.
be happy to listen to the song all day and just let us sit here. Um, I really, I really like that illustration. I think when I think about the message that Paul is trying to get to this Corinthian group of people who seems to be focusing more on their instruments than on the melody and being part of an orchestra. Um, and so I think the question that he's asking is, are you in tune with the melody of God's spirit? Um, and I think that's the question I've been asking myself over the last few weeks. Um, I have to be honest, when I started this process of studying, I went to Pastor Mark and I was like, give me all of the commentaries because I'm going to show you that I'm going to read the commentaries and dissect what I need to dissect to understand 1 Corinthians. And here they are. Here are the commentaries. And I spent hours and hours and days, it felt like, trying to like make sense of the commentaries. And finally, I asked God, okay, I'm really struggling. What, what do you want me to share? And he's like, put the commentaries down. <laughs> like, just get over the commentaries and get over the actual act of teaching. You need to focus on the melody and not on your instrument. Um, and I think that's kind of where, where I was recalibrated a little bit. And recalibration, if you've ever been recalibrated by God, can be painful and a little disorienting because you're suddenly in a space where it's not about you and it's about the greater good and the common good. And I think that's what Paul is trying to do. So Corinthian context, I needed a little refresh myself. And so um, I have some pictures here because I really like making cheesy PowerPoints. And this one might be amongst the cheesiest I've ever made. Um, so up here, just for cultural context, um, Corinth was a port city. And so um, when I think of a port city, I think of like Poldark and then mixed with like... Um, this, this economic center like New York or Los Angeles, Chicago. And so that's kind of the vibe that we're getting from the Corinthian <coughs> culture. Um, I tried to find a great Gatsby photo because this group likes to party. And um, I found this photo with like fire coming out and people dancing and that was the best I could do. So they're very kind of party centered. Um, there's temples from the Greek and Roman times and sort of this remnant pagan culture that exists. And whereas Paul had established churches, there's a struggle, as I'm sure we all know, to kind of go back to the cultural space that we're used to. Um, I'm sure we all remember, maybe we don't want to remember, the young fellow who um, was sleeping with his stepmom. Um, do you remember that chapter? Gross. But that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with here. Um, also, there's a picture of, of Paul up in the corner. It was a very factious society, so there were different factions. And um, as I'm sure we could, it would not be far-fetched for us to imagine, um, with like political factions, right? You like are for someone, and so you're against everyone else. And so that kind of divisive spirit was very present in this culture. Um, and so throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul's addressing all of these issues and how they affect 
the body and the life of the church. So when we get to 1 Corinthians 12, this focus is on worship gatherings. And so the Holy Spirit is moving in the church, um, which is great in different ways, but some of the members are really struggling. Um, they're like really into tongues. So if you walked into a service, um, some people might be like yelling out in different languages, whereas others might be standing up and saying, God showed me this, which there's nothing wrong, right, with those gifts. They are God-given, but Paul is trying to recalibrate and redirect this group of people to see what the Spirit wants to do um, in a unifying way. And so he first is kind of redirecting them, saying, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit, if you wanted to know in the talk. Um, it's the best I could do to illustrate it. So he is trying to redirect them to say the source that is of God, right? The source that is the Holy Spirit is the true source, right? He's trying to redirect them. If someone is saying Jesus is cursed, then that is not of God. So he first identifies who the source is, and then he's saying out of the source come all of these gifts, right? And so these are the gifts that he lists. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy. I can't read. Um, distinguishing between spirits and interpretation of tongues. So he says, everyone kind of, Zoning in on this melody gets a gift, right? If you are in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, you get the gift. But the main point is that the manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. And that is the part that the Corinthians, I think, are really struggling with. Um, and so he continues on this dialogue in chapter 12. And I wanted to illustrate this, and I'm not even sure how this is going to work, but I just know if God's giving gifts out, then I'm going to give gifts out too today. So um, I, I found myself at Costco last night at like eight o'clock, and I didn't even know what I was doing there. But um, God is feeling very generous to Jacqueline today. So Jacqueline, can you come up here? Jacqueline. Jacqueline is a dear friend of mine. I'm so glad she's here. And God is also feeling very generous to me. So I'm going to take this one, and Jacqueline's going to get this one. And so we are going to unwrap our gifts together. Um, I might as well go first. Mine feels a little light in here, if you know what I'm talking about. And so I got a pair of socks um, from Costco, and they look so warm and cozy. Jacqueline, what are you, what are you going to open? How nice. Chapstick. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, God, for those gifts. Um, so when I look at this, I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to stay warm for so many nights in a row this winter wearing these socks. Jacqueline, what are you going to do with your gifts? Sugar and uh, 
Awesome. Perfect. So I'm laughing because I did not obviously practice how this would go. But I, th I think to extend this analogy is that sometimes we get the gift and we like hold on to it and admire it. But Paul's point is that the gifts are to be shared. So actually, Jacqueline, you're going to share the gift. And so am I. So who would like a pair of socks? Anyone? <laughs> nice. Okay. Here, I'll let you pass them out. Let's see. No, I'll just jump off the stage. <laughs> you ask, you get it, Priscilla. Thank you. You're welcome. Perfect. No one asked me to do favorite things, so I just did it. Okay. Jacqueline, can I help pass out your gifts? All right. Thank you. Do it as you may. Go for it. God is so generous, isn't he? All right. Now that we are so thrilled with the gifts, and this is like the number one no-no in a classroom. Like, don't pass things out while you're teaching. But, but it also reveals the chaos of the Corinthian church, too. So it's okay. So to take this a little bit further, um, imagine, let's just keep extending this terribly thought-out analogy. Um, if you are someone who has the socks, per se, Imagine that you only spend time with your sock people um, and you're just like, I'm going to sit on Priscilla's couch and just enjoy my socks together. And imagine you're a lotion person. You're like, my hands are so dry, but I have lotion. Um, imagine you're a chocolate person. You're just sitting there eating chocolate, right? I think he's also getting at this part with the, the body of members, right? We all have different gifts. Okay, and they're meant to be shared, and they're also <coughs> meant to be used to, to, to help one another. So um, people were getting stuck in their gifts and not really thinking about how is this good for the body. So if I, you know, I receive one pair of, uh, of one gift of socks, and Jacqueline received everything else, and I'm stuck in the fact that, like, oh, but if I don't have the lotion and the chocolate and um, the other gifts, like, why don't I have what Jacqueline has? Or um, why do I only have socks? But I could get stuck in that place of wanting what someone else has and never move beyond that to actually use my gifts, right? Just like in the Corinthian church, someone is so stuck in I have the gift of tongues and God is using me to speak another language that no one else can understand and there are no interpreters. Therefore, it's not helping anyone. Um, and so I was just thinking more about this. Why do we get stuck on our specific gifts? Or why do we get stuck 
in sort of thinking about the way we are and never moving beyond that. Um, <clears throat> I think the first part, I love his self-talk between like the body members, right? If I'm a foot and I'm not a hand, does that mean I don't matter? <laughs> and I think like that's hilarious, but I think we do that, right? Like, well, if I, you know, have this gift of serving and someone else seems to have 10 gifts, do I not matter? Um, and so I think there's sort of this self-deprecating talk that can happen, but I also think um, there's like a pride that can happen too, right? Well, I have this gift, so it must mean I'm important. Um, and it's so limiting. Um, sometimes I think that we, <coughs> we actually experience these deficits in the body of Christ and they're self-created. Um, sometimes I think that these deficits that we feel are actually our own ability to want to receive from others. Um, and that's kind of where I'm stuck with. I, <coughs> over the last year, have had a very exciting year, to say the least, that I'll share about a little bit more. Um, but I am someone that really struggles to bring my pain in front of people. Um, I would much rather sort of like walk through the pain and then like be done with it, right? Um, and so I have a hard time saying that I need people. Um, and I think these gifts have something to do with this conversation in a way because um, I would rather sort of just like stay inside of myself or I have a tendency to go hide if something hard is happening, um, which is not always easy to do. And so um, I think this member conversation is, is part of what Paul is talking about. If one member suffers, we all suffer. Think about that. Like, that's crazy. Like, if I am unwilling to ask or receive help from someone else, I'm actually suffering, and our church body is suffering too. Who has ever felt like they don't matter in the church? Not to daring question to ask in here, but has anyone ever felt that kind of feeling? Okay, yeah. And who has also ever felt like they're suffering in the church? Anyone? I see a lot of like very slow nods. But I think those two things are absolutely not disassociated, right? Um, and, and that's shocking because I think sometimes that's where our church health stops. It's like, I'm going to just focus on you know, what I don't have to give or what the other person has to give is how it's not right. Um, but I think we are the answer to each other's griefs and deficits. And that's crazy that, that Paul is saying that um, and something to really kind of wrap our minds around, I think. C.S. Lewis talks about um, this idea of pride through victimhood and then pride through elevation of self, um, both of those. And I think sometimes pride through victimhood is more easily disguised because you feel bad for yourself, right? You feel depressed or low, and it's easy to not call that pride. But really, I think I get stuck in that trap is like, well, no one cares or da-da-da-da. Like, <laughs> but I think, um, and pride of, 
of elevation of self is easier to see, right? Like, here I am. Here's my gift. I'm going to write in the commentaries and everyone's going to see me. But both are equally isolating um, and equally keep us separated from the spirit of what God wants to do, from the melody of his love. And so a lot of chapter 12 is just Paul trying to get us to understand that everything we're given is meant for everybody else. And that's huge. That's no small thing, right? Um, so here are some of kind of the, the recap points, but also his lead-in to the most excellent way, which feels, again, desecrating to me to even talk about, um, is that everybody has a gift that matters. Everyone who is in the spirit and who believes in God and is walking in his truth. Not everybody has each gift. And I think that's equally profound, right? Sometimes we want all the gifts, right? But we don't even use the ones that we have. Um, and so if not everyone has each gift, but we have gifts that were God-ordained, Think about that. Using the gifts that God gave you, um, I mean, that's the way he designed it, right? He created you for a certain gift. He created you in a certain way. And then this next point, after he says, you know, not everyone has the gift of prophecy. Not everyone has the gift of teaching. Not everyone has the gifts. He has this curious line that's really had me stumped for days. Um, Aspire the greater gifts. That's a really curious statement, right? Because he's just trying to make this emphasis, right? With these interrogative questions, like not everyone has this, right? You have what God gave you. Then he uses this statement. And I will say these commentaries did give me some more to think about. Um, just, it wasn't the central point. But <clears throat> aspire the greater gift, some commentators would say that this is an imperative command. So he's saying, actually aspire the greater gifts. And the gifts that he listed were um, apostles, right? Those who were like messengers of God, blazing a trail ahead. Prophets, those who maybe are preaching or foretelling of God's truth. And teachers, those who are teaching about Jesus and the word of God. And so this question has kind of just been percolating around in my mind. And I was very stuck on it. Like, oh, does he like literally mean this? Or the other group of commentators would say that he's just emphasizing this point to lead into 1 Corinthians 13, saying, aspire the greater gifts. You can aspire whatever you want, but there's still a more excellent way, which is love. And here's where I've settled. I haven't. Um, but I will say this. <laughs> I will say that that phrase, aspire the greater gifts, has stirred in me a desire to say, aspire more of God, right? Aspire to have more of his presence because the greater gifts, Okay, are all rooted, if you look at those three in particular, in intimate connection with Jesus. So if you look 
at what a prophet was like or an apostle or a teacher. They were closely connected to Jesus. So aspiring the greater gift, I'm now sort of reading in my spirit as aspire intimacy with God. And intimacy with God, okay, is always the more excellent way, okay? And then when we read and go on to see this way of love, okay, the way of love, the most excellent way is Jesus Christ himself. And so would you do something a little different? Would you stand with me? And I'm going to read the hymn of love for us. Okay, this is the word of God. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Thanks. You can sit down. As I said, reading and kind of resting in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm still laughing at Priscilla's comment, you have the best one. (laughs) Thanks, Priscilla. Um, Really, I feel like has desecrated me, and that's the only word I can say because this love is so undoing of everything that is natural to us, right? When I read this list, I have no capacity to do these things on my own. Um, I, I am not able to choose this kind of love without the divine melody, without Jesus Christ and without his spirit. Um, and this year, I have seen that so completely um, through part of my own story. Um, many of you know that I have a daughter who has joined this Bible study, but I asked her to stay home today. Um, And she was born in the most surprising way at only 25 weeks along. 
um, and there were no signs that anything was wrong the whole time, and there were no signals that there was something, you know, going wrong with the pregnancy, and it is a miracle that she is alive. She's here with us. Um, but I was so unprepared, as you can imagine, for this journey. Um, and I think it has revealed so many things about myself. Um, still to this day, I am still processing. And this chapter, I think, and its desecration is kind of part of me processing this experience. Um, but when I think about this kind of love and you know, these Corinthians who are like, I have this gift or I'm singing in this tongue and here's what the word of God says. Um, it makes me think about, well, one, the kind of lover I am to other people and then two, about the kind of love I've experienced this year. And I wanted to share this story with you. I think I shared this with Katie before, but um this is the Anthropology Toddler Rivulets Quilt. Um, it was originally marked as $128. Um, no one needs this quilt. My child does not use this quilt. But I will say this. Um, when my daughter was in the NICU for the first 20 days, I now realize she was fighting for her life. I mean, there was no guarantee that she would live. Um, and every day was a struggle. And um, I've held her on different accounts and her oxygen got disconnected at certain spots. And it was absolutely terrifying. And I would go to bed every night just praying, okay, God, like alert me if something's going on, you know, please help me to rest. And so, and this quilt is kind of ridiculous. However, <laughs> for those of us who are so weak as to need an analogy with an anthropology quilt, God does come through sometimes. So um, it was probably shows you like how immature I am that that's what I would need. But here I am. Um, so on day 20, um, she was not doing well. She still had um, her oxygen. She was intubated. And I woke up and I was obviously, well, not obviously, I was recovering from my surgery, my C-section. Um, and I was in the shower, which I had most recently got to do by myself. How nice. Um, and I was trying to talk to God and I felt like he said, buy the anthropology quilt, which is so stupid. Like I saw that it was on sale for like $40, which is a miracle into, unto itself. And so I went and told like my husband and my mom, I was going to meet with a friend and they, I think they looked at me like, you're crazy. Like, well, you don't know what to tell you. Like, why would you need to do that right now? Um, and so um, it's, $40. it's $40. Come on. You guys don't understand. So I bought this quilt um, not knowing if we would have the baby, obviously, alive to use it. And um, later that day, a friend texted me and said, I feel like God wants me to buy your bedding for you. Um, which, again, what a curious way to hear from God. Um, but my friend bought all this bedding and all of these things on the registry. And I mean, again, as silly as it is, that crazy kind of like presence of God through something as silly as this quilt and another friend 
buying this, this bedding for the nursery that we don't know if we're going to set up um, felt heart-wrenching. It kept me in this place of like, oh my gosh, like why am I doing this, right? Can I trust God in this time? Um, the next day she was moved to the CPAP machine and from that day forward she gained weight and gained health and um, was able to grow and eventually after 80 days she did come home, um, which was a miracle. And when I think about this story, again, there's a lot of comedy attached to it, um, I just think about the heart of God. Um, and I think about, one, how other people loved me. Like, why would someone do that, right? Buy all this stuff for me, um, not knowing what God was going to do, but trusting that he would do something that was good despite the pain. And then I also just think about what God taught me about loving my daughter, um, right? It, I think about that phrase, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Can you imagine if I, you know, believed that she would live, but never showed up again to visit her in the hospital? And I think that that's kind of what this is talking about, right? Like, what if God showed my friend, like, I think your child's going to live. Um, and I receive messages like this from different people. Um, but is that enough, right? To hear from God and then stop in our knowledge, like, I believe God, he said this. Or is this kind of love more about sacrificing and showing up again and again and again and again without knowing the outcome? Um, and I think that I'm more inclined to act out of the first kind, like, ooh, I'm fascinated that God told me to buy this quilt, right? Okay, who cares? It's not about what God told you. It's about this love that's willing to show up time and time again. And this is the love that I've received from so many people in this room. Precious Anna showed up like the day after the baby was born when I was highly drugged and I took a selfie because that's how out of it I was. I was like, what happened? Um, Precious Anna is like in tears for me with this big basket of gifts because she knows my love language. And because Anna was able to step into her gifts of mercy and knowledge and discernment, I was able to receive something that I wouldn't have been able to receive without her. I experienced my pain because of Anna. And I don't mean that Anna caused me pain. I mean that I was able to experience the part of myself that I usually have a hard time experiencing. I usually push pain aside. I didn't feel my physical pain for like two months after my surgery, which is weird. Um, but Anna helped me to kind of walk into the reality of the experience. And I think this is the kind of love he's talking about. Anna also proceeded to show up again and again and again. Priscilla would leave all of these notes on my doorstep at random times. Um, Christina Walton like showed up with meals. And I mean, I have countless stories of so many people who were there. And 
this kind of love showed me that this is not the kind of love that I am usually comfortable giving to other people because I'm usually like an all or nothing, like, okay, said the prayer, moving on. And I think that's why this chapter undoes me in a way because this love is agape love. It's about Jesus' sacrifice. It's the highest form of love charity. It's the love of God for man, but it's the love of man's love for God. Um, And since my daughter's been born, which was nine months ago now, which is crazy to me, um, I think it's been easy for me to want to just close off the painful parts of the experience. I would rather say I received this love from God. I saw this miracle moving on with my life now. But that is not the kind of love he's talking about. This kind of love from God shows up again and again and again. He is always present, but the part of us, man's love for God, also requires showing up again and again and again. And it's living in that presence and intimacy with God um, that I think brings us into tune, so to speak, to bring it back to the melody that, you know, expecting God to be there when we're in pain and being really in tune is one thing, but then sort of closing ourselves off when things are good is another. Um, And I've been very challenged by that lately. A couple weeks ago, we found out that my mother has breast cancer um, and she had a surgery on Friday a few days ago, and I went down to help. And I have honestly experienced more pain and disruption through this experience with my mom because I think I shut off some of my pain before. And in all of that, I think God is teaching me this very thing, is that this love requires showing up again and again and again. I could say that I saw the greatest miracle of my life in my daughter being alive and living, but I think God is showing me that the greatest miracle is that God is with us. Emmanuel, his presence is with us again and again and again. And it has all of these qualities to it that we could never achieve on ourselves, but that's God's love for us. And through his spirit, which C.S. Lewis calls divine gift love, we are empowered to love other people in that way, which we, again, have no power to do on our own. Um, And so that is some of my story. And that is just, I think, the song of God's love. And what I wanted to share with you, because after God told me to put down the commentaries, um, (laughs) oops, oh, that was the right one. Um, I felt like I wanted to share what are some of the ways he's actually loved me or the ways to kind of get into tune with this love. Um, And so one is, I think, a new confidence in his word. Um, When my daughter was in the hospital and I didn't have any words to pray, um, people sent tons and tons of scripture. And um, I, I, would pray this one scripture over her. We read it over her every day, which was Psalm 91. Um, Under his wings, you'll find rest. Um, 
and, and we just kind of read this over her. And I had no words very often, but I at least knew that if I prayed this scripture, I would be praying, you know, God's promise for her. Um, and something I think God showed me is that praying is the practice of prophecy. And I think that sometimes we get so freaked out by like, ooh, do prophets really exist? But think of it this way, okay? We know in his spirit prophecy is a gift, but if prophecy is like a foretelling of what God's to do, if Jesus was and is and forever will be, then praying his word is praying his truth. It's foretelling his truth. And when we do that, we are praying his promises for us, right? Sure, we prophesy in part because we don't know what God's going to do. But if we are praying his word, we're not responsible for the outcome. We are responsible for giving that to him. And we know what we're praying is true. So I think praying the word of God over whatever situations we might be walking into, I think of the holidays coming up especially, um, that is a surefire tool to get yourself realigned. Um, and the next thing is the gift of his presence. Sitting in solitude and in worship like we did today, that is just a gift that I feel like I've been given here and at home when I put on worship music. And then last, his people, the presence, the word, and his people. Um, and that, of course, is what Paul is kind of calling us to. Use the gift of the people he's put in your life. And I would say don't discriminate who those people are. Sometimes I think, like I said, we're, we're at a deficit because we limit one who enters our life and what their skills are and who they are. Um, and so... These are the gifts that I have received, and these are the gifts I want to share. And thank you. <laughs>